Hello and welcome to La Pausa Pod. We have a special treat in store for you today because today we're going to talk about Rafa Benitez and Celta Vigo. Jamie, how are things with you and how excited are you to discuss Celta Vigo today? Good, good, but um, no, it gives me a migraine just kind of thinking of all the things that have gone wrong to for Celta so far and how much I wouldn't like to be Rafa Benitez trying to be the guy to figure all this out because... Putting all the pieces together is just is just so frustrating, and especially when they know they're they're so close to results. I mean, the number of one nil defeats, oh, oh sorry, defeats by a single goal is just is just uh, really soul destroying. So yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah, they're, they're a really interesting team on the face of it. They're not. They're in the relegation zone. They have seven points from thirty nine available, one win in thirteen games, drawn four, lost eight. But they've been playing well, uh, but have been but the results have been exasperated by bad luck and worse game management by the players. We'll dig into the stats a bit later to try to understand what's going on exactly. But then we're going to discuss the Seville Derby. A one-all draw in the end on Sunday night with Ayose Perez's goal from the set-piece being cancelled out by Ivan Rakitic's thunderbolt of a strike. The 74% of Rakitic's shots from outside the box Sorry, 74% of Rakitic's shots this season have come from outside the box, 17 from 23. Only Izzy Palasson has taken more shots from out the box, outside the box. Was that a close one in terms of being, he nearly hit it too well, Jamie? It was, it was one of those strikes where you could see exactly what he was doing, cutting across it, and the, the angle worked out perfectly. But yeah, I mean, it was... To be fair to Diego Alonso, he did say after the game that shooting from range was one of their um, objectives for the game and, and one of the ways that they thought they could hurt Betis. But, I mean, it was it's a goal that saved everybody's skin a little bit because they didn't really create much in the game. And without Rakitic's absolute golasso, then, yeah, people, people are going to be in trouble there. Yeah, and the... Uh... A lot of people say that expected goals and, and efficiency from shots has, sorry, expected goals has kind of ruined that long ranger and, and people are taking, being more efficient with their shots now, but it's moments like that when that, that shot from Rakitic is sailing through the air that you're just like, oh, just keep shooting, lad. And you, I, I love watching those replays back in slow motion to see which fan realized quickest <laughs> this is going in. He's caught it lovely. And you see the first fan just kind of rising up like, yeah, it's got in. <laughs> but what a, what a goal, yeah. A, a strange game, though, in the end. Betis probably feel like they could have got more than a point, but it was away from home. So we'll start out anyway with the baffling life of Celta Vigo under Rafa Benitez. Just broadly, before we get into the stats, what's your takeaways from after 13 games of Rafa in Vigo. Yeah, I remember watching their first game of the season against Osasuna and they were they were really poor. They looked like the ball was a hot potato and they, they couldn't sort of get anything to work. There, there was no sense at all that you're watching a Rafa Benitez team in terms of organisation and structure either. As, as the season's gone along, I feel like the performances have improved but the results haven't followed. So they had, you know, the, the the problems with VAR and referee has been well documented. They've had red cards and in games where they've been leading as well. And then they've suffered a red card and, and lost the result. 
large in part to that. So uh, the last two games, especially, I think up until the Tapia red card against Sevilla, they were much better than Sevilla uh, in practically every sense. At, at San Mamez on, on Friday night, they were causing athletic problems and not many teams go to San Mamez under the lights uh, and really give them a game like that. I know it was a bit hectic and the type of game we don't really associate with a Benitez team. I don't think he's he's looking for, for shootouts in particular, but again, they, they were good at San Mamez and lost again. So I feel like the results will turn because they're really they're really not as bad as, as their points suggest. Although I I don't want to go too far and say this this is a good team who were, you know, just being hammered by referees or whatever. Yeah, I think they're an average team, mm. which their their expected points suggest literally that. So we have Opta have an uh, expected points model, and according to it, Celta Vigo are actually tenth in the table with sixteen points, and they've only got seven. There's no team worse off than Celta. They're eight positions lower than our expected points model suggests they should be um and i i do think that if if celta vigo have the stomach to stick with rafa which i think they do given the contract he was given and uh, and the the in in the summer i think that they're going to stick with him and they they really they know that this has just been unlucky this has been var little bit of siege mentality now with the with the whole um with the way he's come out firing in in press conferences, the players are still clearly behind him. But Jamie is Jamie the absolute legend. I asked Jamie to get to to find me some stats on the last ten minutes of a game. So in the last ten minutes of a game, Celta Vigo have lost twelve points, and they've only won three, and that was against Almeria. But so, so if, if games finished in the 80th minute, Celta Vigo would be nine points better off. And I was looking then at or, or questioning whether or not that's a squad issue, tiredness, uh, like a squad depth issue, just general game management. And I went then and asked Jamie to find the <laughs> more data on games played, total starting 11 changes, Per game, eleven uh, game changes and, and and all the rest of it. But Jamie, just before we dive into that, do you do you think what do you think has happened in those final ten minutes of games for Celta Vigo? Um, it's strange because watching a Benitez team, if you were to point towards things that you think you would immediately inherit from Benitez team, it's being able to see out results and and to defend well, deep you know deep into the game right up until the end. And there are a few performances that have been absolutely set up perfectly for them in that way. You think about the game away at Barcelona. Up until Barcelona scored their first in a game that they won 3-2, it, it was an absolutely textbook Celta performance. You know, hitting hard on the counter, defending well, Barcelona not creating anything, just sort of passing down dead ends and getting stuck. And then they just score three goals out of nowhere to win the game and for me, looking at Benitez, let's say he makes it to next summer, I'd really like to know how many of these players that he's currently counting on as as key players in the team are actually guys that he wants to he wants to back. You know, when the transfer market is open, how many of these players will he actually look at and think we need to upgrade here? Because 
they lost Joseph Idu, the centre back, to what is going to probably be a season ending injury. It's an ACL, so you'd be surprised if he plays again. So they've basically got Unai Nunez and Carl Starfelt as their, their two senior centre backs for the season. Um, and I don't think anybody is overly enamoured with their performances so far. I think, I think Unai Nunez is, is the guy who's played the most. And he, he's, he's been okay recently, but I don't look at him as a guy who is going to lead a Benitez team from the back in terms of organisation and concentration over 95-plus minutes. And we've just seen a number of goals conceded late on that are pretty much down to concentration and being able to defend your box well. So, I mean, yeah, it's tough to go back and think of all the ways in which they've lost games. But yeah, I've not been overly impressed with the defending and box defending especially. Yeah, 100%. And in terms of the total players used, Celta Vigo have used 24, which is right around average. The team with the, who have used the most players are Real Betis at 29. Mallorca have used the fewest, 21. So they're around average in terms of the amount of players they've used. But in terms of total starting 11 changes, they've only had 25 in the 13 games so far. That's way down the list. The The fewest is Girona with 13. And remember I was talking to you before about Girona. I was saying there's a kind of a Leicester City feel to this where you look back in 10 years' time or, or 15 years' time and you can nearly name the players by position because it's so, it's so consistent. And the... Then you've got Valencia who made 21 starting 11 changes in their games, Athletic Club 20. So so they're, they're the more consistent teams and Celta too. And But you don't know whether that's because of, of course, Benitez is comfortable with those players or he just feels like he doesn't have any other option. So they, but there is one area of the field where they have changed a lot and that's in midfield. Over the last four games, they have gone and changed their midfield they played a different central midfield in all four of those games. So the partnerships have been Dotor and Beltran, Tapia and Sotelo, Tapia and Dotor, and Beltran and Della Torre. All very different profiles, all very different dynamics between those players. And just looking at when you're talking about the Barcelona game and they were leading 2-0, a, a part of the reason why they, they can't sit back and defend like that is because they don't have that that purely defensive midfielder at times who can sit and just sit in beside, drop into defence and protect the box a little bit more. They do have central midfielders and it's a, it's a very, sorry, pure central midfielders. And I think they're just lacking that, that, that player. It feels like he doesn't really truly trust Tapia and... The red card against Sevilla was, was, a, was a case in point there where he just lost his head. And, and that's the, the exact opposite of what you want from your defensive midfielder. He has to be one of the most consistent and, and highest concentration players you, you can get. So it feels like that midfield, you, you don't know what you're really going to get from it um, on any given Celta Vigo yeah, match day. Yeah, like you said, they've changed the central midfield pair in each of the last four games and players that at start of the season Celta had signed and Benitez just wasn't using it at all. So it's, you wonder if he's just kind of raffling through players and seeing 
which, which things stick because Dottor started the season on the bench and didn't contribute at all. And now he seems to be first choice in midfield from recent matches. So, and they've, they've used De La Torre, like you said, who is probably a winger if you were to put one position on him in, in central midfield when other options were available. So, yeah, I just think I look at the squad and I'm not sure how much is Benitez, how much Benitez trusts in the 11 players that he's putting out every week. Obviously, you have the staples like Aspas and Bamba. Um, Jorgen Strandlarsen seems to be his favourite up top as well. Um, and it comes back around to the fact that their sporting director, Luis mm-hmm. Campos, is also the sporting director at PSG. And I've seen a lot of Celta fans who are not too pleased with how his job is going so far and the fact he's got this dual role. On the Friday night game at Athletic, you know, there were I saw a picture on on a social media of him giving like a seminar somewhere in France, and fans are looking at that and thinking, why is why are we scrapping for our lives and our sporting director is off giving seminars when he also has a different job for PSG? So it's fair to say the signings they've made so far are not exactly driving performances, and I mean, you look at the. The biggest investment they made this summer, which was uh, Duvicas from from the Eredivisie, 12 million, 12 million euros, and he scored at Barcelona, and we've we've barely seen him since. Um, it just feels like they've signed poorly, uh, and they've not reinforced positions that needed to be reinforced, uh, and especially central midfield, like you said. Um, Dottor said the other day that Benitez had asked him to put on weight and put on muscle, and you look at the options in midfield, and I think Benitez feels that a lot. Like they don't really have a physical senior presence in there. So what the, what Benitez has been forced to do is play a more defensive-minded right player on the right, and that has affected Carlos Perez's minutes. Carlos Perez has only played he's only played two hundred and thirteen minutes this season, and he was a key player during during their best moments under uh, Carlos Carvajal last season. And a big, another reason, so you're talking about the signings there, the, the difference between Celta Vigo this season and Celta Vigo last season is basically Gabri Vega and Gabri Vega's goals. If you take Gabri Vega's goals out of Celta last season, they're relegated mm. or very, very close to being relegated. Well, quite literally, because he scored the last, those two against Barcelona in the last day of the season. But when you're, when, when you're being forced to, when you don't have that defensive presence in midfield, you're having to play more defensive-minded players in order to carry out the same job that you could do if you had one really good defensive midfield player, and then you can add more to the attack. So this is why Aspas has his role has. We'll talk about Aspas now in a second, but but he's being forced to probably do a little bit more Jonathan Bamba is improving a lot on the left hand side and he's playing really well I think but not to the level that Gabri Vega was at and not to the same level of production that he's at so yeah I think you're right I think Rafa is sitting there like that makes perfect sense with Dottor in terms of put on weight become a presence there We, we need someone that's going to be able to sustain us when we do have to sit back and who can almost slot in and play as a centre back and but who can also get forward and doesn't take anything away from us going forward. So yeah, I I think the the signings in the summer just haven't haven't really been there, especially when you're trying to pre- replace Vega, 
who, who did overproduce in terms of his expected goals. And I was just looking at that recently and he shot the lights out, but I don't know if it was sustainable in, in, in terms of numbers, but they got a, a nice chunk of money for him, but haven't really reinvested it. So moving on then to Iago Aspas, who I said we would speak about. He looked so dangerous against Athletic Bilbao on, on Friday night. And you look at his goals. So he has he has one goal from five expected goals in the league of this season, including two missed penalties. And against Athletic, before he got the goal against Athletic Club uh, in the first half of Friday, lo- lovely finish inside the post. He had he was he, he looks like the same old Iago Aspas, fiery, getting lots of shots off, dangerous, a real handful to defend, but it's just not the ball just isn't going into the net for him. No, um and I agree. He he looked brilliant at San Mamez. Uh, I think he showed a turn of pace that we've not not seen that much this season, which was a good reminder that, you know, his legs are mm. still very much there. He, he's he's not suffering um a great deal physically yet. He definitely bothered uh, Vivian and Paredes, who are who have been a not I won't say a solid pair this season, but their Athletic's defensive record when those two play together is generally pretty good. Uh, maybe a bit of slippage in the last few weeks, but yeah, I thought along with Aspas, I thought their their counter attacks at San Mamez and the threat that they carried while not really committing too many players forward, they still look like a really dangerous team. So. In that type of setting, I, I still feel pretty confident that Celta can can make things happen in transition on the counter. Um, you know, in games where they're not having to hold the ball as often. Um, but yeah, for, for Aspas, I mean, you look at his if you look at the combined XG and expected assist numbers, he's only behind Antoine Griezmann in La Liga this season, and uh, and that's playing in a team that are really suffering at the moment. To, to try and get results over the line. So you look at the data and there's not a lot changed for Aspas in terms of the shots he's getting off, the chances he's getting, the chances he's creating. So I guess I would say don't be surprised if things turn for Aspas and then in turn, hopefully, turn for Celta as well. Yeah, and you'd hope too that Strand Larson would start to maybe produce more. Jonathan Bamba as well, he looks to be improving and he, he did look good early on, but he's even improved again. He got that goal on Friday night. He has generated 17 shots after a carry in the league this season. Only Iñaki Williams, Brian Zaragoza and Rodrigo have more. So they probably do have plenty once the Aspa starts getting the goals again. Not to drive up into the top half of the table but certainly to be average which is what we think they are and they'll probably have to go into the market in january in order to to reinforce that midfield probably and yeah i mean you could you could you could improve on in several areas but i just don't really know where they're going to prioritize i'd say central midfield central defensive midfield for sure but we'll just have to wait and see so you've got a, a couple of quick pointers here about things you're optimistic about Celtic, which we touched on. They're they're good on the counter. They look dangerous. Most direct attacks in La Liga this season, 29. Iago Aspas should be fine. And Jonathan Bamba looks to be improving. And then the reasons why you feel like you're a little bit pessimistic about it 
you've got uh, yeah they don't have the alternatives in attack to 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 change the dynamic of a game or for Rafa to come out in different games we'll say maybe not against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu but let's just say against a specific type of team he doesn't really have the ability to go and change up his attack too much and yeah like we said, the defensive concentration, the lapses, and then Joseph Idu's torn ACL. But all in all, you they stick with Rafa and they should be fine, right? I think so, yeah. It's it's strange because in the summer, you know, it was supposed to be the start of this this project. You bring in Rafa Benitez and maybe you sacrifice some some of the more aesthetic football, but you become a more competitive team in turn. Maybe you can push for top half, whereas he basically just fell straight into crisis mode. So we've we've kind of lost track of the project in itself, and now it's about Benitez somehow just clawing a few results back, and then we can start to think about the project again. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm optimistic that he will survive. Um, they have played tough teams, I would say, in from the season so far. There's a few lesser ones coming up. I mean, they play Cadiz at home on the 4th of December. And yeah, they play. They have to go to Mestalla before that. So, I mean, there's two big games coming up there. Um, and depending on how you arrive to that Cadiz game, that's going to be a very big one at the bottom of the table because those, you know, those are two really, two sides that are struggling and the two sides who have actually been the worst second half teams in La Liga this season. So I don't really know what to expect from that one. Um, we we said that Celta are good in transition and they look good, but I do worry about them a little bit when they go back home and play against teams around them and they have to shoulder possession a bit more and have less space to work with on the counter. So there, there are still things that you'd want to see from Benitez uh, and Celta, but... Yeah, if we just base it on the performances so far, I mean, they're just not as bad as their their position suggests and hopefully it should turn around. Yeah, just on that point to finish up, they have they, they should have taken the lead against Corona. Weird goal ruled out by VAR. They led Barcelona 2-0. They, Real Madrid needed a Bellingham goal at the end to win it against them. They had their goalkeeper sent off against Atletico and after 20 minutes and they ended up losing that 3-0 in a game that they started quite well and then Real Sociedad they played Real Sociedad and went pretty much toe-to-toe with them and 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 drew that game one all so I mean that, that, that they're your top five teams in the league and they've been really really competitive against each and every one of them now just in before Christmas they play Valencia away Mestalla Cadiz home, Rayo in Vallecas, Granada at home, and Villarreal away. You you wouldn't be surprised to see them go unbeaten in those games. Like, you know, so anyway, that's speculation, so I'm not gonna get you to try and predict those games, Jamie, one by one. But let, let's just say let's just say they go on a bit of a run here and they could end up up around mid table, which is where we think they are. So yeah. That's that's pretty much it from Celta. Yeah, logically, they should expect points in these next five games. But I mean, they've defied logic all season. So 
you you hesitate to make a prediction on how these games are going to go, except to say that they are incredibly important to to keep Rafa in his job. Um, and you know, the the VAR and referees element has undoubtedly um, been a factor for them this season. You think of you know the the red cards and the goals that have been ruled out. But I have to say, at the same time, I would like them to kind of just forget about VAR and referees completely. Because even at San Mamez before the game, you know, in interviews, they were talking about, oh, we'll, we'll see if we can score some legal goals today. Strand Larson scores and he does some sort of VAR reference in his celebration. And then after the game, it continues where they're talking about decisions and stuff. And it's like, yeah, we're all aware this has happened, but maybe it's best to kind of move VAR out of your mind now and just concentrate on performance and stop making this a thing. Yeah, I, I, and, and I do agree with that to an extent, but it is hard as well when you are fighting for your life and it just feels like nothing is going your way and you you have seemingly perfectly legal goals being ruled out and look, it's a wider discussion we need about VAR and, but the Girona one just makes absolutely no sense. The the Sevilla one, the Sevilla penalty makes very little sense. And like, to an extent, I do agree, they need to just focus on it. But it is really, really hard to to to, to just get that out of your mind. But yeah, the, the, the VAR celebration, the, the celebrations with the VAR included, yeah, they could probably leave that alone. Iago Ascas could probably avoid not slamming the <laughs> VAR monitor on the ground just to kind of avoid that. But anyway, it is difficult. But we'll move on now to the Seville Derby. One all, as we said, Alonso Sevilla. They started really brightly. We 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 spoke up. We we were pretty high on a couple of their early performances, but in the last couple of weeks, they've looked like they they just look like a team who need the international break and, and they need to kind of find themselves again. Yeah, um, I remember we spoke about them after that Real Madrid game when they were pretty much as advertised from Diego Alonso. Um, you know, other buzzwords he uses like like valiente, being brave, uh, dynamic, quick in transition. They're always trying to defend forwards and not drop off and, you know, defend in a negative way. Um, and since then, you know, they played at Cadiz and at home to Celta. And yeah, they just look like a, a really erratic team who wanted to be dynamic and, you know, get after games, but just the game just end up back and forth, leaving lots of space, you know, between midfield and defence, which was seized upon by opposition counters. And then in this Betis game, I, they just they just felt flat to me. Um, Betis kind of, I guess you call it a mid press. They they didn't really hunt them, but they just kind of sat off and blocked space and said, you know, all right, you initiate the play, try and try and move it around us, and they just looked pretty lost to be honest um so yeah um early days but like you said definitely team of need the international break yeah and just when i was talking about celta vigo having the using just 24 players the, the seville derby to me watching it it felt a little bit chaotic a little bit scattered and and the reason i think is because of the amount of changes there's there doesn't seem to be as much consistency for either team so in terms of total players used, Real Betis have used 29 and Sevilla have used 27 there. That's one and two in, in, in the amount of players used. 
this season, the rankings. And in terms of total starting 11 changes, Sevilla have used 48. Um, or sorry, they've changed their team. They've made changes. Sorry, how do I even word that? They've made 48 changes to their starting 11 uh, in, in, in their 12 games that they played this season. And w- when you're talking about Rafa having a core group of players he relies on and who he who he trusts, Sevilla have a whole, a, a much broader group of players who are m- much of the same, but who, but who don't actually have their place settled in the team. So what you end up with is this kind of a hodgepodge of different players at different times. Obviously, the change of manager didn't help. And what you end up then with is just a, a, a real lack of identity and an inability then to kind of, even when you're sitting down to watch Sevilla, you're not entirely sure what you're going to get you, you do to an extent but you don't know oliver torres comes in then suso then it's uh, for example adri pedrosa started instead of marcus acuna at the weekend uh, and then you might get uh, juan luis sanchez instead of jesus navas and even even in goals you're looking you're not really sure what you're going to get there dimitrovic dimitrovic started in the, the civil derby and yeah it just feels like this is a team that needs to after years of solidity under Lopetegui and a, and, a, and a team that you could nearly you could nearly um, set your clock to, now they're gone back to being just a, a team with a with a bunch of players who are don't really make that much of a difference on a whole. It feels like the the messaging has been a little bit off or has not matched up with what we've seen on the pitch really because I watched them in Champions League uh, Arsenal. Uh, recently and you know the top before the game had been you know you know we're not content with the Europa League we want to be competitive in the Champions League we played against Inter in the Europa League you know a number of years ago and they went and made the Champions League final last season so why can't we and then Alonso's talk about how he always wants the teams to be brave and aggressive and they went to the Emirates and just like rolled over they pressed a little bit at the start and then just dropped into a, a back five and basically took the medicine. So, uh, yeah, it feels like they need this time off to to reassert an identity and, and, and figure out which plays he wants to go with on a more regular basis because he has chopped, chopped and changed, like he said. Um, and, yeah, in this game, um, w- would you agree Betis deserve to win? I feel like that was the feeling I had. Yeah, definitely. I I think so. And just in terms of Sevilla being one-dimensional, trying to get the ball out to the flanks, I think Real Betis defended quite well in that sense. They had Hector Bellerin, who was excellent, and Diaw. And then on the right-hand side, uh, sorry, on their left-hand side, it was Miranda and Ayose Perez. And they just doubled up on whoever it was that was trying to cross the ball. El, El Nasiri ended up just being completely anonymous. He had um, like he had 18 touches in the game. And I was just, you see, you're talking about Arsenal there. I was looking at touches in the opposition box for Sevilla throughout the season. They had four against Arsenal in that game. I mean, talk about rolling over. Like, yeah. That, that's just four touches in the opposition box in a game. That's ridiculous. But anyway, against Real Betis, they only had... They only had 17, which is one of their lowest totals. They 
the only time they had fewer touches in the box in La Liga this season was against Valencia and that was under Mendilibar. So it felt like Sevilla just didn't know how to break down Real Betis, who aren't particularly strong defensively either. And I think then, in terms of going forward, yes, I think Real Betis had more, given the fact that Isco is just that creative force that in the centre that exactly actually what Sevilla need and they didn't have. They were just all the time down the flanks. But I do think that Real Betis missed a trick here in terms of William Jose didn't really make sense to me. And I was just wondering, Iose Perez as the number nine, mm. what what do you lose by playing him at number nine? I think Betis have a number nine problem, to be honest with you. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Iose came in as the number nine because you see the, the options that Betis have to play on the wings now. Luis Enrique and Abde came on in this match. They've got, you know, a lot of attacking options um, in terms of attacking midfielders and wingers. So, William Jose, I think he he had some okay moments in this game. And what he does do is he drops out of the, of the front line. Um, and if it's Phyllis facilitates play, but obviously that is not what Betis are looking for from their number nine uh, in the absence of goals. I mean, he has scored quite a few this season, but there's definitely something going on there between William Jose and... Uh, Borja Iglesias, I don't really know what Pellegrini is, is thinking there. It seems like Borja is kind of just Europa League player now, all of a sudden, when he was a Spanish international long, not long ago. Um, but yeah, um, just to touch on uh, Alonso again, we, we talked about them not um, having solutions in the game and you remember we used to talk about crosses under Mendilibar a lot and looking at the stats, um, Sevilla are actually averaging more open-play crosses per game under Alonso than they did under Mendilibar in his uh, stint so far this season. So this is still very much a team reliant on crosses. Um, I can kind of understand in a game like this that you fall into crossing because it's a low-risk way to attack and you don't have to elaborate too much and you could sense nervousness among Sevilla players. So, yeah, I don't think they want to cross it quite as much as they did uh, in in the weekend game, but all stuff that they need to figure out in the national break. Yeah, they had 28 open play crosses. 25 of them were unsuccessful, so just three successful. And, yeah, no solutions. And, and it's... When Luke Ibacchio came on, he kind of was played in that central. He was a little bit more central. He picked the ball up in more central areas. He was kind of drifting around the place, but he his decision making was poor. But he was he was the one who dribbled forward in the central area and passed it to Rakitic for the goal. Now Rakitic did the rest, obviously, and like I mean, they go in one in. I don't know. Well, what's the XG? It was like very low. Um, so, yeah, they don't go in very often. But at the same time, when they did try to attack that central midfield, but at the same time, Real Betis looked to have found a really nice formula now with Mark Rocca and Guido, Rod- Guido Rodriguez. And we're just talking about Celta Vigo. If Rafa, I'd say Rafa Benitez would do unthinkable <laughs> things to get that central midfield. Guido, seasoned uh, international, Played in the league now for a number of years. 
has been linked with a move away at times and he is the kind of player that's just consistently good defensively rock solid uh can drop back into defensive line and doesn't really miss a beat t- too much he's, he's got that physique too and then mark rocker too who does an awful lot and you obviously watched him a lot at leeds and and he we really liked him at espanol went to bayern munich then and has come to bet his the kind of player who's never going to really set the world on fire, but does a lot of things really, really well. And you've been impressed with them in, in that partnership in recent weeks too, yeah? Yeah, increasingly good from those two. And Rocker, he, he was... I don't worry about Guido Rodriguez in a match like this. I think we've seen enough from him to know he's 7 out of 10 every week minimum. Um, but yeah, I was impressed with Rocker. There were a few iffy moments late on. I don't know, fatigue and protecting the result by that point. But yeah, it was a pretty complete performance from Rock, I would say. And he looks like a guy who's come out of his Premier League stint a better player, even though it didn't really work out because he looks like he compete, uh, can compete uh, a lot better now with the change of league. You know, he's playing in a more controlled team. At Leeds, he played in this really erratic pressing from the front and open games, and he just he just got swallowed up in the games so much. And to play under Pellegrini now, where it's it's more controlled and he can get his touches in, um, yeah, he looks like a, a very solid signing. And then finally on Hector Bellerin, who who looked really really good, I thought he was one of the standout players. Had the goal that was ruled out for an offside, but just in general, really good going forward defensively solid and one one of the players another reason why I felt like Real Betis did enough to 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 win this game in the end and we yeah we we talked about Sevilla not being a, a, a brave team and they were they were clinging on at times against against Betis but this was Sevilla at home in the in the derby and it just felt like just to finish off on 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 this general topic before we talk about Isco, who we want to give his own section to. But when when you think about it, it's a derby, obviously. But Sevilla were playing at home, and it just didn't feel like they they had control of the ball, obviously. But it just didn't really ever feel like they were able to hurt Real Betis, no. No, no. Um, and I I picked Sevilla to win this game because I thought Sanchez Pizjuan factor would play a massive role, but. It was one of those games where instead of it driving performance, it kind of turned into uh, players feeling the pressure and some whistles around the stadium. Uh, I mean, when he took Ocampos off, the whole stadium was was whistling. And that's, yeah, that's, that's a bad place to be in a derby when uh, the, the fans are not entirely, you know, rooting for you. Of course, they are rooting for you, but there's there's some discontent in the crowd. Um and yeah, it's just, I remember saying after the Real Madrid game that we thought Alonso was was going to be a better long-term solution than Mendilibar because he had more alternatives to his game. But watching them against Betis, you, you could see they're still in the early phase of it because players like Loic Bade, who was brilliant under Mendilibar, playing in a less expansive style, I, I thought not only in this game, but in recent weeks, he's looked pretty unsettled as well. More responsibility on the ball, um, having to defend in pretty 
you know, unbalanced games that, that are quite open. He he's he's not looked great. So yeah, I, I mean, we we nearly got through the derby without mentioning Sergio Ramos, but I was watching it thinking they really could have done with Sergio Ramos in this game. Yeah, and you wonder what they're going to do now in the summer because they do. It does feel like they need an upgrade in mid in all over the field we'll we'll we'll, we'll do that for we'll leave that for a, a different podcast but just finally on to isco who a couple of really really lovely moments here in in this game and just continues to yeah his, his resurgence has been just incredible and credit to manuel pellegrini for because isco it looked like he was going to end up like we didn't know if he was going to play again in Spain, certainly, but in any of Europe's top five leagues, we thought he was going to maybe end up somewhere else outside of Europe, given the fact that there was no one willing to take a chance on him. And because signing him was contingent on two things, there's no point in signing him like Sevilla did actually, and not accommodate him. So you had to be both willing to sign him and pay his wages, but also be willing to take a chance on him and build around him Manuel Pellegrini has managed to do that he's reactivated him he was he was he was chasing down Dimitrovic he's, he's, his defensive work has gotten better way more plugged in and that has remained consistent now for since since the start of the season so 13 games in and Isco is still going strong you're you're impressed with him again in this game too yeah yeah definitely um I won't mean did he get MVP in this game I don't actually know uh, I think Ayose Perez maybe, but... Did he? All oh, right, yeah. I mean, yeah. Isco is un- undoubtedly playing superbly at the moment. Um, yeah, it's a, it's it's as if you were watching him from, from four or five years ago at the moment. And, you know, we're not going to find out now that Isco is an unbelievably talented footballer. We, we've always known that. Um and of course, he de- he deserves his credit for for where he's got back to and and how well he's playing. But yeah, I'd, I agree. I, I just I think Pellegrini deserves more credit for the whole Isco story because it's one thing to sign him, and then it's one thing to make him a start from day one in his ideal position, number ten, playing the style of football that he wants to do. You know, there weren't many managers that were offering uh, you know that type of prominence in the team from day one uh, probably zero so um yeah P- Pellegrini is is um getting the rewards for his trust in Isco when when not a lot of people were, were ready to do the same and it feels like Betis are just kind of constantly on the brink of something really good and you said earlier about their attacking talent they've got the their the the base of midfield sorted their central midfield, central defence could probably improve, but the attacking talent that they have, if they could just find a nine who could maybe score between 10 and 15 goals a season, they could be really onto something, especially with Isco now performing at the level he is and the the threat on the wings from Miranda and potentially Bellerin or whoever plays there. And yeah, Luis Enrique, Abde, Diaw, they, they, they have so much attacking they've so many attacking options that if if i feel like if they could find like a nine who could guarantee them 15 goals we'll say they could be really pushing up into the into into the top four places yeah i, I watch them now and i don't 
I don't feel like they are a European level team, at least not in terms of pushing like for, for Champions League. But I can see it somewhere, uh, somewhere down the road for them with the way that they're setting up the squad now. Uh, Ramon Planes came in, who was a really good sporting director, and he's brought in some good players, made some good signings. Um, Chadi Riyad was pretty good in this game, I thought, for for Betis at centre back, given his given his lack of experience, and um, you know he's come from Barcelona. He's, uh, he's obviously a high potential player, so there's there's re- there's you know a lot of reasons for optimism for Betis. I'm not sure they'll all arrive this season, but yeah, when, when you when you're competing like this and, you, you know, you've got Isco's like the talk of the country playing well, then it's a pretty good position to be in. Yeah, we're going to be keeping an eye on them. It's obviously international break here. So Jamie has a week off, I presume, no? <laughs> no, no. no. What, f- football never stops somehow, even when there is no football on. There, there's always some stat to be pulled out of out of previous competitions or competitions going forward. So, yeah, we're going to be keeping an eye on that. We'll be back next week with... a. We're going to do a top five summer, top five transfer of the summer, of last summer so far. So keep an eye out for that. We're going to post this now. It's currently Wednesday. We're going to have this in your ears early in the afternoon. So, but anything else to mention before we sign off on, on this episode, Jamie? Um, yeah, working on a piece on Alish Garcia over the international break, which will be on that analyst. So look out for that. And for your Celta Vigo post, is that coming? Yeah, yeah. That's what I was working on. That's why I've been, I've been thinking a lot about Celta Vigo in the last <laughs> week or so. So, um, yeah, it's, that'll be out in the next couple of days on Celta Vigo. Just can't catch a break. And then you've got your Alex Garcia piece. So yeah, plenty of La Liga coming up on the analyst. So pay attention for that. But for this episode of La Posta Pod from myself and Jamie, it is adios.